bit today because Robin didn't get to slide up so we don't really want to do that in front of her. That's okay. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 17. I'm going to read the end of chapter 1 and then we'll uh, set the platform diving into this text. Pray that today would be Verses 22 through 25. I don't know that we're going to get all the way through this, but we'll see how we do. Uh, I teach next week, so that way we're okay. We'll have our full time next week. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. The Word of the Lord remains forever. This Word is good news. In 2020, I preached on 1 Peter. And in 2021, I preached on the first chapter of Peter. It's 2022, and we're still in the first chapter of 1 Peter. So to you all, this is not a series. Because this is a year in between when I'm getting the text right. However, to me, it is a series. I spend a lot of time in these passages. So, I need to help lay the groundwork again. You've heard, some of you have heard this before, where I go through the blessings that God has recounted in the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1, and then we will dive into the text for today. Peter writes this letter to exiles in hardship. He recounts God's blessings as encouragement for the Christians that he's writing to. He's writing to Christians who are exiles, not in a political sense, but exiles living in this world at this time. And he writes to encourage them as they experience persecution and hardship. He reminds them of God's blessings, being chosen by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, and cleansed by the Son. He reminds them of a living hope and a living Savior. Those link together. The Savior walked out of the tomb. Therefore, we have a living hope. He speaks of an inheritance as another means of encouraging the Christians he's writing to. An inheritance which God has prepared for us, which is imperishable and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven. These are amazing blessings that Peter has in mind. And he sees them as a great source of courage and encouragement for the Christians he writes to. He even writes of their trial that they're going through. 
that the test of genuineness of their faith would result in the glory of God in his single one of these encouragements, he's offering a source, a root, a ground for the hope that they have, a reason for the courage that they can find in trial and trouble. And he constantly throws them back on their Lord. He lifts their vision from their circumstances to fix their sight on their coming king and his that theme does not change as we progress through chapter 1. So I realize this is a lot of background, and you haven't had a chance to live in this text with me, but he is constantly and consistently turning the Christian's vision away from their circumstances to look to their king, his son, a king who brings a better kingdom than where they are. He reminds them that they are ransomed, not with worthless things which perish like gold but silver. I mean, think of the irony of that. The world treasures gold and silver and yet Peter reminds the Christians that they have been ransomed not with a perishable thing. A puny thing like gold or silver but rather with the precious blood of Christ who is their ransom. And he reminds them again that they believe in a living Savior. So let's, that brings us up to verse 22. Let's just look at the first part of that verse. Verses 3 to 9. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. The love of God has displayed and demonstrated and declared openly And it overflows in the life of the believing Christian. The love of God does. In believing the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf, our hearts are purified for a sincere brotherly love. Having purified your souls, and again in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. the Son of God sent for you to live a holy life in your place, to die a death bearing your sin and to rise again to everlasting life. That is a demonstration of the love of God for sinners, for rebels, for the lost, and the unlost. But in believing that, our hearts are purified expected to say our hearts are purified to perfectly love God or to love God or something along those lines. And yet Peter turns very quickly. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. You remember the confrontation between Jesus 
and the Lord about the greatest need, to love God first and also to love his neighbor. And there are so many messages today in our culture that seek to tear down our idea of love. And that's why I wanted to look at this passage with you because it is an encouragement for us as Christians who live a life that is different than the culture around us, a life that is designed to glorify God. And part of that is to demonstrate loving one another. The root of this faith is the truth concerning Jesus. The root is not the love itself. The love we have for the brothers is the fruit that comes out of the root of the gospel. I don't want you to mistake those and think, well, I should prepare to be a Christian by loving other Christians. No, you don't prepare for that. You can't. You're not able to. The only way you're enabled to do that is by a gifting of God when you become a Christian to love his There is an aim and a purpose to the Christian life. One, it is to glorify God in everything that we do. But there is also an aim for sincere brotherhood. It is not aimless. The Christian life is not aimless. It is not purposeless. It is not futile. God does have purposes for us, even in the question of how we live out our is this fruit of the Christian life to be displayed. The love of God is shown in the coming of Christ, his living, his dying, and his rising again as a demonstration of God's love. The Christian comes to faith, and that love now overflows into Christian life. And for each of you here who call Christ your Savior, this speaks to you. So in the second part, verse 22. I'll read the first and then I'll go into the second. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Christian, here your king commands you. It is not an act of obedience to win his favor. Rather, this is a command that the overflowing love of God, which is poured into us, would abound to those around us. Now, are we to love our neighbor? Because we do hear that text. We hear that phrase in the scriptures, love your neighbor. But yet Peter narrows the focus. He doesn't contradict what was said about loving your neighbor, but he narrows the focus to fellow Christians. Love one another earnestly from a pure Hear your king's command for your purposeful, God-honoring, God-glorifying life. This is supremely practical when you think about what God could task us with in our lives. How might we live the glory to glorify God? And you could pick some unachievable or unattainable accomplishment. He could call us to perfection or success or wealth or who knows what. But instead, this is so practical because it's to love those around us. 
care, look around. Look around in this church. So we sometimes we, we feel like we can get off the hook a little bit. God has a purpose for us. I should live for his glory. That's general and vague. And Well, I can have an idea about this, but here he calls us to love one another tangibly. That's a gift. How practical that is. He gives us the means of living out a God-glorifying life by the people, the believers who surround us. Love the Christian poor, which you join with Christian virtues. Rejoice with them. So let's take just a a little detour from this. We're going to continue to look across 1 Peter for his mentions of love. Because we see it here. So is it is it remain a theme for Peter, or is this just show up? Does this only show up one time? Let's go one chapter forward to chapter 2, verse 17. 1 Peter 2.17, his instruction there is honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Love the brotherhood. It shows up. It shows up again. Let's go one chapter further. Uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender hearts, and humble hearts. Peter has this love of the brotherhood returning in his thoughts. This is a theme that he has. And we went through a great series. Uh, some of our, our teaching leadership went through a great series this summer. And one of the tools they taught us was to look for repetition. I see Peter repeating brotherly love again and again and again. Let's go one chapter forward. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Just think of that. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So can we agree that Peter has the idea of brotherly love as a vital expression of faith as a Christian. Then, he repeats it over and over and over again. And as he wrote that, back in chapter 1, verse 22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is written in the form of a command. Listen to the dear voice of your heavenly Father speaking through the prophet. I appeal to you to desire this gift of brotherhood. I will remind you of our purpose statement as a church. So I I can apologize a little bit. No, it's not scripture, but it is our our distilled idea of what the scriptures have called us as a church to be. We glorify God by making disciples who joyfully desire to obey all that Christ has commanded. Who joyfully desire to obey all that Christ has commanded. And this phrase here in 1 Peter is written 
whether we recognize it or not, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, culture presses in on us. It influences the way we look at the world and the way we look at one another. And we need to push back against some of the messages that our culture in general tries to exert, the pressures they try to exert on you as you seek to live the Christian life. Because does culture talk about love? It does in many ways. But I want to address at least three contrasts that our culture has now from this call of First Peter. First Peter says, love one another earnestly for the fear of God. Our culture, in one aspect, defines love as sex. That is not what is being described here. Out of consideration for the wide variety of people here, I'm not going to go into any more detail about that. Our culture also has an idea about love. And we hear it in the way they speak of love. Love is about what I feel. Love is about me. This is the culture's meaning. Love is about me. Love is about me and my pleasures, me and my desires, me and my passions. Love is about me. And our culture has that message pushing in on, exerting pressure on the way that you live your life. It is contrary to what we see here in 1 Peter. Peter is saying, and the Lord through him is saying, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That message of the culture that love is about me is, is love curved in upon itself. It's a distortion of what love truly is. Love is our culture thinks love is about the individual, about the experience benefits that they get, the, the desires that they feel. That's what culture thinks love is. It's about me. But Peter says love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And a third message that our culture tries to exert upon us is the pressure to say you cannot love others. This I feel so much. Maybe it's just because I'm an old man. I don't know. I watch the news and I observe culture and I see hatred everywhere. No one has patience for anyone anymore. It might feel that way. Our culture would say you can't love those you dislike. But Peter writes, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Rather, Peter writes here of love which is outward directed and outward focused, which is for the benefit of another. It is love in obedience to God's commands. So this is not romantic love. This is not any of those others that I talked about or the messages against them. This is outward directed love working itself out in action for the benefit of the brothers and sisters who are fellow Christians who follow the Lord alongside you. There are a variety of people here, and you might say, boy, that's great. I'm glad you have a lot to say about that, but it doesn't resonate with me. That's okay. If it doesn't, pray for those around you. Because I believe the Lord's message 
does bear fruit and does have an impact across the people who assemble together to hear the word of God. Love one another earnestly as you feel the Lord. This love is commanded by the one who loved us supremely. You want to see what love looks like. Look at what the Lord did. I remind you of that those early passages, verses in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter offers encouragements to the Christians because he directs them to look to the Lord. When we talk about loving one another earnestly, look to the Lord for the strength and the ability and the opportunity to do so. Because he has set the standard far beyond what we could ever imagine. What a tremendous privilege we have in this call of Christ upon our lives. He is the steadfast root of our faith. And he calls us to imitate him in bearing the fruit of faith. Fruit grows out of the root. The branches grow out of the vine. Jesus calls us to a, to a sincere brotherly love from a sincere heart. He calls us to imitate him in this fruit of faith, namely outward-directed, action-oriented, sincere love for one another. And I'm not going to give you this tiny little defined definition to say, here's what love for one another looks like, because it's dynamic and the Lord uses our love for one another in many different ways. And I don't want to limit your thinking and you think, well, I have these two little points and I can check those off. So now I'm good. The Lord commands us to love one another earnestly and sincerely. You can work that out in your life, how that matures in your heart. But I want it to be on your radar because it's on Peter's radar. And therefore, we can imitate in the Lord. Why is he, Peter, so concerned? with the fellowship of earnest love for one another. We looked across Peter. We saw earnestly love one another and brotherly love come up time and time again. Why is he so concerned about that? Let's go back to John 13. Jesus came there. Right at the beginning of this chapter, and we're going to close it out here. This is why Peter is so focused on this love of the brethren. At the beginning of John 13, verse 1, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then the account continues on. He washes their feet and there's instruction in there for us to glean from, but we won't take the time to read that this morning. But look at the impression that the Lord's care for his disciples has made upon John and Peter's there as well. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let's continue over to the towards the end of that chapter. We're looking at verses uh, 34 and 35. This is why Peter is so focused on earnest brotherly love. John 13, verse 34, this is Jesus speaking. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples 
have love for one another. How many times have we pondered and, and, and thought on and questioned, well, God, what is your purpose for my life? Here's a clear indication of part of his purpose for your life, and that is to love for one another. I know it's not dramatic enough. It's not a high enough mountain to climb. It's way too simple. But it's not dramatic. <laughs> I appreciate the giggle. It is a challenge. Because when we talk about loving one another, that means loving the people who are around us. Have you looked at us? Are we that lovable? And yet we are to demonstrate what that one verse says. Love covers over a multitude of sins. The Lord shares his wisdom with us through the word in ways that are so incredibly profound that it speaks to every aspect of our life. So he calls us to love one another, and he says, how could I do that? Well, when I look across the aisle, love covers over a multitude of sins. Jesus' instruction here in John 13, this new commandment that we would love one another, has left an indelible and unerasable impact on Peter. Why is Peter so emphatic in his concern that he brings it up multiple times in his letter of 1 Peter about brotherly love, earnest, sincere, from a pure heart? Why is he concerned that Christians would love one another? Because he wants to follow and wants us to obey what Christ tells us to do. Not a law the Old Testament law to achieve a sense of righteousness there, there, but rather an echoing, an overflow of the love which God has demonstrated to us in Christ filling us up and overflowing. It's got to go somewhere. It could go to my neighbor. It could also go to your fellow Christian. He didn't call us to achievement he didn't call us to perfection. He didn't call us to be rich. He may bless us in some ways with money. He didn't call us to that. That's not how he defines success. That's not how he defines what the Christian life is. The Christian life is not money. The Christian life is not success as the, as the world would judge it. It is not about achieving glory or fame. God could have set any of those things as the way to walk the Christian life. But instead, he lays the most practical and challenging thing he can lay on us to love one another. How? How are we supposed to do this? That's 1 Peter chapter 3. the beginning of verse 23. He gives you the answer. Since you have been born again, how can I live this out? That's why I'm saying this is a message for Christians. This is a message, message for Christians who have been born in Christ. 
are structured to help the body of Christ to live for his good. Savior for the example and the empowerment to love those here around you. This active love springs from the root of faith. Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. Our ability to love comes out of our being joined to the vine. The Savior and his work of sin bearing on your behalf, which results in life gifted to you This is not a, a sermon about how to self-improve yourself in order to win God's love. This is Jesus Christ. You must come to Christ in order to participate in this life of love, in order to be empowered for this life of love. Jesus is the answer. Admit you are a sinner. Believe in him that he died in your place. Confess your
his sacrificial death in our place on the cross, his entrance into the tomb and his rising again to life eternal. Lord, help us as we meditate upon your word and your commands for us as Christians. Help us to see opportunities and to not only see it, but to follow through so we might love one another earnestly from a pure heart with your commands as an echo of your grace and mercy. For love covers over all sins. May you, O Lord, be glorified in everything we think, say, and do. Not by our own strength. We look to you. We look to you, O Lord, as the great engine for our life that empowers us, calls us, and helps us aspire to a greater purpose than what our culture would ever give us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Bring us forth in peace, O Lord. In his name we pray.